This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apinov. Hello everyone, this is Andrew Apinov and uh, a new issue of the We Spin Recipes uh, podcast. Today I've got uh, a special guest on the show, Christopher Knapp, the author of uh, Music is Your Business and uh, Music Industry Professional. Uh, hello, Chris. Hi, how are you doing today, Andrew? Doing great, and uh, yeah, so it's like uh, evening my time, early morning your time. As, as usual, we are uh, connecting the continents here. So yeah, uh, anyway, so can you please uh, quickly reintroduce yourself and share a little bit more about your past? Yeah, um, I guess I would say that uh, if I have a title or uh, a position, is I'm an independent music consultant. And I, what I mean by that is I help usually bands that are just starting out or have been doing their music uh, for a couple of years but not going anywhere. And they need help. They need understanding of what they need to do to promote, to market, to sell their music, to get exposure that will help them get you know, live performance gigs, etc. So I see myself as a music business consultant. Again, I want to make sure that you know some people don't think wrongly that I'm a lawyer. I'm not. Um, I'm a person who has been in the business for over 40 years, and I started out in music retail uh, in an analog era, and I've gone through all the eras from the 70s, the 80s, and on to the 90s and current era we're in. And I help people understand, uh, I, try to, I try to do in my book, uh, that there is a way to understand that the music business is structured in a certain way. The problem has been for a lot of musicians that they don't understand that there is a structure. Just like a building looks a certain way, the business of music has a structure too. And so what I call uh, my four fronts of the music industry are just a way for me to talk to a client, to a student, to describe them. This is how the industry is structured so that you can better understand how every part of it interacts with other parts of it. So that's what I try to do in my lectures, in my workshops, my seminars, and of course in the book. And I should mention that the book is now in its fourth edition, and I have a co-author. His name is Bart Day, and he is a uh, music industry attorney uh, who wrote the, uh, the legal uh, chapters in the book. I, I'm a guy that just talks about the, uh, the business side of things. Mm -hmm, got it. Uh, and I, 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 I want to say that I'm really uh, kind of intrigued and excited about the forefront concept uh, when I first uh, read your book and uh, kind of see this structure and how you present it. It just made so much sense. And I think it's a really uh, cool way to uh, describe music business. But I'm just curious, before we uh, talk about this more, uh, when uh, approximately did you first come up with this concept? Um, God, if, I, if I was interviewing you, that was one of the questions I would want you to ask me. And I'm so glad that you started off with that. Um, it was kind of an evolutionary uh, thing that happened to me. I mentioned in my introduction that I started out uh, in music retail, meaning I owned my own record store, and that was in San Francisco during the 70s, and um, I, you know, 
at that point, I was just a clerk, and then I bought the store, and I started learning how to buy records from record labels and distributors. And, um, you know, my, I would describe that everything I'm about to say was sort of accidental. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, happenings. Things would happen that one thing led to another. So, yes, I started off at, at the record store. And then one time, uh, uh, a man who was a disc jockey on a local station in San Francisco came to me. He was a customer, but he was a DJ, uh, the overnight DJ on this station called KSAN, K-S-A-N, very famous station in San Francisco history because it played alternative music of that era. And so he came to me and he said, you know, there's this new music going on. And he was talking about the... Uh, rap and hip-hop movement, but also was just beginning, and more importantly, the alternative music scene was beginning, meaning mm -hmm. punk rock and what became known as new wave music. And so he said, why don't you come on my radio show? It's, uh, I'm on every night. You can come on Friday night from you know midnight to dawn, and we'll play some of this music. So to me, that was like a really great thing to do. And I, I loved the invitation, and I did it, and we had fun with it. It was called the Outcast Hour, because if you listen to alternative music of any kind, you're pretty much an outcast. And what do I mean by that is you're, you're different. You, you don't want to listen to the hits all the time. You, whatever era it is, people who are different in the way of their musical tastes don't want to hear, you know, Beyonce, or that's an example of today, or you know, REO Speedwagon in the past. They wanted an alternative. So that's what I did with my show. And I learned my first lesson about the music business by doing that radio show. Obviously, I learned some things at the store, but it's kind of silly to even admit it, but it's, um, I noticed that I would do the radio show on a Friday night, and then go the next day on a Saturday to open the store, and there would be a line of people waiting for the store to open, wanting to buy the music that I had played on the radio show that previous night. And um, like I say, it's sort of duh 101, but when you get airplay and people hear it and they like it, they want to buy it. That's just, you know, since the, the days of radio's beginnings, that's the way it's always been. It's, a, so, it's yeah amazing. I mean, it's just I'm uh, I'm listening to you. It's so 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 cool because I don't think uh, such thing can happen, especially when you're just promoting some alternative music and only uh, because of the airplay. So it's a bit different, I guess, these days. But anyway, sorry for interrupting. Well, um, it's it's different in some ways. Of course, radio has changed a lot, and we've gone from an analog era to a digital era. Um, But let me, let me kind of continue and we'll kind of get to a point that I think you're making. Um, so after doing that radio show and keeping the record store going, I, I had this friend who was um, kind of a writer uh, and reviewing bands, etc. And we, I say we, I invited him to come down on this show with me because he knew everything about you know the gossip of the music industry in San Francisco and around the world. So his name was Howie Klein, and uh, we started getting invitations from other radio stations around San Francisco. And one day we were going to a show that had opened up down in San Jose, California, 
and we had this bag of, in an analog era, uh, of cassette tapes, demo tapes. And so I opened my mouth to Howie, and I said, you know, we got all these demo tapes, we should start a record label. And his famous answer at the time was, I don't know anything about running a record label. And, and I, this kind of an inside joke because eventually, not only with our label, 415 Records, that we, we came up with, he eventually became, in the 90s, the president of Warner Brother Records. So for a guy to say he doesn't know how to run a record label, he did pretty good for himself, right? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, what evolved from there was uh, after that idea of let's start a record label, we just looked around for bands. And we would go to clubs every night in San Francisco. Um, the most famous one was called the Mabuhai Gardens. It was the punk club just kind of like CBGB's of San Francisco. And we would find bands, and we the first one we talked to was a band called Pearl Harbor and the Explosions. And they were very popular already, but they didn't have a record. So we approached them to do a 45, uh, and they agreed. And I think our contract was like a half a page long. Very sophisticated, right? <laughs> and uh, it just said something like, you know, um, you, the band, have to deliver a mastered uh, record to us and we'll manufacture and put it out and promote it. And when we reach a point of X amount of dollars, we'll start sharing profits 50-50. That was it. And, you know, if you look at wrote your record contracts today, they're like maybe 100 pages, 80 pages long, single space. But that's what we did. We didn't, we were learning as we were going on, right? We were enthusiasts of music. We wanted to support bands. I still had the store. I had the radio show. Howie had the ability to write about music. And it was just like the departments of a record label, really, were the beginnings of it. Does that make sense at all? I didn't know about that story, and it's uh, interesting indeed. And I guess it's it's very uh, effective way in, in learning uh, things, like from my experience as well, when you want to learn something, you just need to start doing these and start uh, immersing yourself into into something so and eventually i guess uh, you you've been involved and in just as you mentioned in many other spheres and and uh, uh, parts of uh, the music industry correct i have it's it's like i say it's sort of been an accidental career because i never had an attention you know or that's not the wrong word i never had the uh, intention to say, okay, I'm going to start a record company, or okay, I'm going to learn to be a DJ. What I want to point out to people that are hearing this is that I just put myself in a certain position that allowed me to get invitations to do things. I, like, for example, the radio show. Hey, Chris, how'd you like to be a DJ? Come on and play some records. Oh, okay, that sounds like fun then talking to Howie. Howie, what do you think about starting a record label? Yeah, sure, that should be fun. And then as I've gone through my career, um, there's always been these strange invitations that came from things I had not done, but they sounded like fun to do. So I kept noticing as I got more involved with the business, um, this leading up to the long-winded answer to your question, uh, how did this concept of the four fronts come about? And really, it was around, took around till 89, 
maybe 1990 or so, where I started getting this picture um, of this in my mind of like the structure of how the music industry is put together. And I thought, you know, this would probably be very, very helpful to people if they could understand it. And then again, another coincidence. Um, I was, um, at that time, we've kind of gone fast through all this, but another invitation had come to me around 1985 that I hadn't mentioned yet. And that was, remember I mentioned I was doing DJing at a couple stations in California? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of them, I had moved from California to where I live now, Seattle, Washington. And I knew one person in Seattle. And that guy was an engineer at the radio station I did down in San Jose. And so I called him up. And I said, his name was Kerry Lowen. I said, hey, Kerry, I'm in Seattle. Let's have lunch. And uh, we're talking. And he says, uh, you know, I'm quitting my job as the station manager of this radio station here on the U University of Washington campus. It's called KCMU, or 90, it's on 90.3 FM. And you should apply for my job because you'd be really good at it. And my response was, I don't know how to run a radio station, <laughs> you know. But uh, he said, oh, don't worry about it. It's kind of like uh, your radio show you did once a week, except it's 24 hours a day of alternative music. So I said, okay, I'll apply. And lo and behold, unqualified as I was to run a radio station, I got the gig. So I'm doing that a few years later uh, in the late 80s, as I mentioned this idea comes up about the four fronts. And lo and behold, I can't believe it myself sometime, the phone rings and a school in Seattle called the Art Institute of Seattle calls me and says, hi, uh, we're looking for someone to teach uh, the business of radio broadcasting. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, okay, well, I've never been a teacher, but uh, I guess I could do that. And that led to 18 years of teaching the music business at the Art Institute of Seattle. I, I left the station, uh, KCMU, uh, around 1995, 94, 95 or so, because I was going full-time teaching at that point, and I really, really loved teaching. And it was really, you know, we're finally getting down to the long-winded answer to your question. It was, if I hadn't gotten that class to teach, I wouldn't have had to create materials about the business of music. And so over that next decade from 89 to 99, I wrote articles occasionally on the internet was popping up for the first time, as you know, it took for everybody around 1995. And I just published articles here and there. And then, you know, this idea just came to me like, I've got a book. You know, I've got so many articles, I got a book that explains the structure of the music business. And um, that was the first edition, I guess, would be around 2000, 2001. And um, it was, you know, printed basic stuff, but it was the first attempt to explain people who aren't in the business what that business they want to be in is like. And I've done that ever since, whether I do it in a class, whether I do it in a workshop or a seminar uh, or on the telephone. Um, I try to give people that structure and mm -hmm. make them understand what they have to do to participate and hopefully have a chance of success. Great. And thank you for these uh, backgrounds. It's, it's, it's a really interesting story. And uh, 
it uh, uh, kind of explains where you are coming from and uh, like what kind of amazing uh, uh, experience you've got. Okay, so and about the forefronts, if you don't mind, so what are they? Yeah, sure. What right. are the forefronts exactly? Well, the first thing I should say is like anybody who hears this this uh, broadcast um, should not go out on the street or talk to a friend and say, "Oh, I understand the business is divided into four fronts." Because people would look at you and like, what the heck are you talking about, you know? Um, it's a term I came up with. Um, I could have said, you know, the four wheels of the industry, the four spokes, the four columns. But I felt after studying the business and being in it the way I described, that the business was really using a lot of war language to promote things. They would use things like, we have this aggressive campaign on such and such an artist, you know, and uh, we're in competition and we're going to attack the enemy, our, our, our other labels in such a way. And I started waiting, saying, wait a minute, you know, this is to myself, I'm thinking this. This is really weird. Why are they using these kind of war images uh, to describe music that they love? But that's the business. And there are a lot of labels, and they put out a lot of product, and they're in competition with each other. So when I use the word fronts, in a war campaign, if, you know, briefly, there's going to be a campaign, the Eastern Front or the Western Front, and you attack from this side or that side. And I just figured, you know, it was a subtle way to describe, to get people's attention, really. Um, what that structure looks like. So I divide them into four categories. And I know we're doing a broadcast, so if you're listening, people, you might want to take some notes. <laughs> but the four Good fronts idea, to me, yeah. yeah, the four fronts, are, the first one is, um, is the only one I ever, I ever divide into a one, a one back that you have to edit that out. <laughs> The first front is divided into two sections. The first part is called artist development. And then the second part of that is called product development. It's the only one of the fronts that has to be divided into two sections. And I'll say why in a minute. Then there are three fronts left. And by coincidence, they all start with a P. That makes it easy for people. The, other, the second front is called promotion and it's singular. And in the business that I was encountering, uh, I noticed if I was in a meeting, uh, whatever, with other people, other labels, I was always using the plural sense of promotion for radio. And I got corrected by this executive one day, and very quietly, he just said, you know, uh, we don't refer to radio uh, promotion as promotions. It's singular. I know it sounds kind of anal, but that's what it is, it's singular. So promotion to me is a, means getting airplay for your music. That's the second front. The third front is another P, publicity. And that means people are talking about, reading about your music because of reviews, blogs that are happening out there, uh, books, whatever. But there's somebody reading about, talking about your music. The third, last front, rather, the fourth front is performance, live gigs, in other words, right? So, we, what I would go back to, if I could, is 
describing briefly how these four fronts uh, interact with each other. All right. So yeah. that, that, I want to go good. back to that that first front, which is called artist development. Um, that is for most people. They always want to have a uh, kind of like, hey, Chris. What do I got to do first, then second, then third, then fourth? And they have this list in their head of things they need to do, they think, in a certain order. But artist development depends on where an artist is in their career. Meaning, if they're just starting out, maybe they haven't written very many songs. So they have to learn the art of writing you know, commercial songs. Uh, and commercial to me just means some people buy it. Commercial to me does not mean having a Beyonce hit or something. If somebody buys your music, streams it, downloads it in this era, um, that's what it's all about. You know, they, 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 that song captured their ears and they want it. So the very first task, really, for anybody is getting into this business is you've got to create great music. If you don't have great music, there's nothing left to do. Everything begins with a song. Or it ends with a song. That makes sense. Absolutely, it is something that I keep uh, repeating all the time. Like no marketing will help you if you have uh, music that sucks. It's just <laughs> impossible. Right. And uh, I hate to be rude, but most music sucks. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just a fact. You know, how do I know? Well, you heard my background. I've been doing this for a long time, and I've you know within. If I observe, I'll say it this way, if I observe my habits and the habits of the people I know in the business um, and a CD or you know, an audio file comes to our attention and we listen to it, we probably give it about 10 seconds before we say this is shit or, or crap and we move on. We try, if we think there's potential, maybe we go to a second cut or a third cut. But if we don't hear any cut, well, what I call magic in that music, we're just going to dump it. So everything starts with a song. And then you have to also talk about your musicianship, your, your ability to play instruments properly. And that means taking lessons when, at any age you're starting and learning how to be a professional musician. And then somebody raises their hand in a class and says, what do you mean a professional musician? I'm not going to go to Juilliard. Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about it that way. What I'm talking about is, um, you know, God bless an ancient old band who's long gone called the Ramones. Um, they had three chords, <laughs> mostly, and they wrote hundreds of songs, and they were professionals. And that was professional musicianship for that era, for that kind of punk rock music, right? So then you get really, as you go down a list, as I do in the book, there's... Um, Things like, well, in artist development, if we're going to be serious about a career, I guess I'd better learn how to protect my music and learn some things about registering my songs with the, in America with the U.S. Copyright Office. And so there, that's a whole other separate thing to do. Um, then we get into you find some band members that you like to play with, and there's kind of that magic happening vibe-wise. And... You say to each other one day, you know, we should really uh, do some live shows. We're getting pretty good. I really like what's going on. And before you know it, they're getting gigs and they're playing opening act stuff. But a business thing pops up for the first time. And that is, it 
to any band that is really going to commit to doing some music professionally. They have to create what is known as a band agreement. And it's a, it's a simple sounding thing that you, the people in the band, create. It means how are you going to, how are you going to conduct the business of being a band? You know, we can stop for a second and say, you know, the music business is called the music business for a reason. It's not a hobby. It's a business. And that we lose sight of that as people who love music, musicians who are playing in bands. They lose sight of that because it's so exciting to be playing live in front of people, to be in a recording studio and doing all this attention on your music. But it's as serious as a heart attack. You know, this business is, is not like uh, a hobby at all. It can be if your music is only so-so and you only have so much time to devote to it. But um, it's as serious as a heart attack, as I say. You've got to understand that the people you're going to be encountering are either working for a company or have their own company trying to make money from music. Yeah, And, and if your music, mm -hmm. go ahead. I just uh, wanted to add my two cents here. I think there are, there may be some musicians and artists listening to this conversation, and they may think like, "I I know that I I won't like quit my day job for just doing just music. I want to keep doing music, and I really enjoy it. And maybe I don't want to make a full career out of this. And for these people, uh, I think it's important to remind them that uh, they are still in business if they want." Even if they simply want to have some listeners and fans, because even if you don't have uh, plans to make a ton of money with music, which is very smart, <laughs> uh, if you yeah. want someone to listen to your music, you are you are in this business, so you you want to get get it out there. But anyway, it's just uh, because I, I mean I just noticed that some artists are confused by the word business, uh, it just uh, the associations that uh, this word has for them. Yeah, and, and that term kind of turns people off, don't you think? The business, the business, you know. Yeah. The funny thing is, um, as you get more and more fans, then you start to attract more and more attention from the business industry. And so you actually, the more successful you get, you spend more time on your business than you do ever spend on your music. And probably someone is 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 kind of not uh, doesn't want that too much. What can you say to tell those who don't like to imagine that they focus on business more than on the music? Um, well, to be rather rude about it, I would say don't bother us in the music business if you're not serious, because we're serious. And if you're it's a hobby for you, and you're not going to be giving a hundred and ten percent of everything you have and give up a lot to be, you know, a growing musician with more and more fans and eventually making more money from gigs and merchandise and all these things that can happen in the business, well, then if you tell somebody, oh, we're just doing this for the fun of it, then you're going to lose everything because people in the industry do not want to hear that. They want to help you, believe it or not, with the skills that they have, but they got to know that you are truly committed to your music 100%. So yeah. I tell them that. That's what I tell them all the time. And I'll just mention a couple of things. 
in the artist development area because it, it, you know, we can't all cover all this in one one interview, perhaps. But there are things like um, managing your band like a manager would be. But in the beginning, you don't have a manager, and you're not going to get one. So uh, someone in the band, maybe one or two people, have to be the people that go out and create a website, you know, update it with the gigs. Um, it's kind of what I call grunt work, you know, stuff that's not fun to do, but you got to do it. Put up posters for a show, all that kind of stuff. Um, a big one for me in artist development is creating an, an image for the band, for the artist. Because uh, this applies to a solo artist, everything we're talking about, as well as bands, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so... And, 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 and you, uh, Chris, really sorry for interrupting you here once again, yeah. but I just wanted to make this note that uh, a lot of the listeners of this podcast are actually also electronic producers, so electronic music producers, I mean. So just just a little note that we've we've got uh, bands, artists, solo musicians, and music producers and DJs listening to this podcast. You know, if you're into EDM and that's what you're doing, well, you have the same challenges Absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. You can't escape it. If you enter it as fun, which I did, well, lo and behold, one day it becomes a business. And if people love the way you're, because you're a DJ and you attract more and more people, then, you know, it's just everything I'm saying applies to you as an electronic musician as well. Yeah, I just wanted you to make this note because when uh, someone is listening to the mention of the bands and uh, different uh, genres of music, they may assume that it's not applicable to them, but it is in full. Well, you know, um, it's imp important for them to know that. So I'm glad that we're pausing here to say that because if they think they're an exception because they're into EDM and that's their profession, um, they're wrong because anything that is done well and, and the audience grows and appreciates what that person is doing, it automatically creates a business environment. And ask any of your DJs that what kind of deals have they been offering by equipment companies as they get more famous. And it, we talked about image for a second and then diverted away from it. You're going to tell me an, a DJ is not uh, aware of an image? Well, the ones I've seen sort of have a hell of a lot of images in the background, in what they wear, in their costumes, if you want to call it that. You know, it's an image that, that they have to have because it keeps that, that visual uh, aspect of things alive. Just because you're spinning discs doesn't mean you're not a performer. You are a performer, no different than a comedian or a band of any kind. So I'm glad we, that we, we landed on that, you know. Everything I've mentioned so far is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. is in the domain of EDM. So um, anyway, what I'm, I'm going to have to go through some of this stuff a little faster. Um, I just want to mention that in the first front here that we've been to call artist development, um, turn it around. You're developing your art. That's what you're doing. And you, you may not have the same order of things to do as your friend next door or something, but all of the things I'm mentioning have to be done at some point, okay? So to me, the very beginning of social networking begins with artist development. 
because you, you start communicating with other people, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on all, any and all of all the possible and growing social networks that are out there. And it all begins in this first front, part one. And quickly, what part two is all about is called product development, is at some point, your product, if you're an EDM artist, is your performance. That's your product. You're spinning the discs and you're doing whatever you're doing, but that's your performance, and that is a product you're selling. And as you know, some EDM artists put together playlists, and there's some legalities involved with that that you better be careful about, because if you start playing those and you start putting them on a disc and releasing them, well, then there might be some music publishing companies or owners of the original master recordings that you'll have to deal with. That's like the business just pops up, Andrew, wherever we look, there's the business, right? Yeah. So, you know, product development to me is if someone is going to record something, it's studying where it should be recorded, how it should be recorded, and then it turns into creating some kind of product that's either downloadable or streaming or it's on a disc of some kind and you have to learn and it transitions, product development transitions into excel, selling that product somehow, some way. So that involves distributors perhaps, obviously with uh, the internet it means learning about streaming. If you're downloading it has to be, the songs have to be in the right f uh, format so that you know Apple is different than an MP3 file. You know about that world more than I do, Andrew. So, but it, it, so, it all perfectly makes sense about the product development. So basically what you deliver to, to the world in one way and another. Yeah. And, and all again, that, that's to me, if that ain't business, I don't know what it is, right? And then, you know, kind of wrapping this section up, um, there's three fronts left. And I want to just mention them and then I'm going to talk about real briefly a formula that people can understand. Uh, to apply to the theory I have about the four fronts of the music industry. So I mentioned the second front was promotion, and that is can be capsulized as saying uh, getting airplay for your music. Okay, so that means if it's applicable for your format of music, you have to find ways, like say on the internet, there's hundreds of thousands of internet radio stations, finding places to expose it so people can actually hear if you're DJing, you know, it's the same thing. You know, you, if you even go to Spotify, there's playlists created that, that DJs put together. That's a, anybody can do that. Some do it professionally, some do it as a hobby. But I, I want to be clear that in broadcasting or in the promotion front trying to get airplay, we're talking about any way that the listener can hear a song completely all the way through. Not like... 10-second samples or 30-second samples and all that nonsense. It's the business of getting airplay any way you can. Radio stations, internet stations, you name it. The next front, publicity, is mentioned is talking about uh, getting the attention of bloggers to write about you, to compliment you on what you're doing with your profession and music. And it's magazines, newspapers, fanzines, you name it. But the buzz, there's a buzz created about, have you heard such and such? Have you heard this person? Have you heard that person? And in the music world, 
everything is is very insular. It's a small world in many ways. Everybody knows everybody, or or can easily know them because there's LinkedIn, and there's other the social networking comes back in again. In every front, you can't get away from social networking, you know. And the last front, fourth fourth front, is that live performance. Um, that's going to be uh, learning how to get your first gigs, how to go about getting ones that are paid, and it's a business once again. And there's the formula is what I want to jump into right now. Is if there's these four areas, then there must be a way, as I hinted at in the beginning, for things to interact with each other. So, for example, this can apply to any type of music. I don't care what kind it is. When you are, let's say, trying to get exposure for your music uh, in the sense of having iTunes, have it up for sale on iTunes, or printing it up as a 12-inch disc and trying to get it into stores, the first thing you need to do is get distribution. And then I learned early on in distribution uh, who deal with the retailers of the world, uh, they're still alive, you know. There's still retailers out there, independent retailers. And all these people, whether they're distributors of actual product or um, stores that are selling it, they have a profession hired at every place called a buyer. And a buyer has to be, is hired rather, to be sure that what they buy has a chance really of selling. If it doesn't sell, if the streams don't, people aren't following the streams, they're not downloading stuff, they're not buying a product, then nobody's going to make any money. So you have to convince them, you convince the buyers, why? That's your first question. Why should they carry your product? And you have to give them reasons. And guess what? The reasons are going to be in the other fronts. For mm -hmm. example, you're, 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 you're telling the buyer, let me give you an example of my local area of Seattle. We have, we're fortunate to have a lot of independent stores, retailers that love independent music and alternative music. So they're going to they get bombarded by people saying, hey, carry my record, carry my record. But you have to say, this is why you should carry my record. And what you say is, I'm a local artist, and by the way, I'm getting airplay on you know 90.3 FM or the alternative station I used to have to manage. Um, uh, we have a magazine called The Stranger and The Weekly, and they're they're writing about it on the blog. On several blogs, these certain people are talking about us. And by the way, we're doing some live performances and gigs here and there and everywhere. So the trick is. When whoever you're talking to in any front, they want to know their main reason why they should care about your record, your music. Then they want to know, am I all alone or do I have other parts of the industry supporting me? So, or supporting the artist, excuse me. So then that's why you go to the other fronts and you say, whatever successes or plans, I want to distinguish that. It's okay to have successes, little ones, or plans for doing such and such. But you have to reassure everyone in every front that you're not alone, that there are other things happening in your life in the other fronts. So you just go through them. 
if you're talking to, as I say, just the buyer, the distributors of stores, they tell them why they should buy it. Then you say, well, we're getting this kind of broadcast, we're getting this kind of bloggers response, newspapers, etc., and we're performing live at such and such and such and such. Then you're going to pick this up pretty quick, Andrew. If you want to get broadcasting and you want a station, you know, to broadcast whether it's internet or a real station or not, doesn't matter. You have to tell that music director, that's the title of the person you're going to deal with, why they should play your music. Give them a reason. And so you go and you say, well, I'm a local band, you know, I'm in this area, and I'm doing this kind of live shows. You go to that front. I'm getting this kind of wonderful publicity from the bloggers and from magazines and newspapers, and it's selling. You know, X amount of downloads are happening. X amount of streaming activity is, is occurring. And when you get to, let's say, the fourth front with performance, that's a tough one. Because, you know, when there's a club, a club only makes money. And I want people to really understand this because I get so many complaints from people about live clubs everywhere. Like, they won't book me, they won't book me, they won't, and all this stuff. You know, a live performance venue is a business also, and their, their job at a club is to get people to drink alcohol, <laughs> to eat food if they get hungry, to, hungry, to dance their asses off. And if you have an, a, a, any kind of activity that you're a performer and you can't do that, that club is not going to book you. So we used to say, if you, you got the job of a club is to get butts sitting in the seats, and then get them up so they get hungry and they get thirsty, and then they drink a lot and they eat more and have a nice night. And that's and you've got to tell the booker of a show, a club, why they should book you. You know what can you do to prove to them that you have some kind of following already, and that they'll show up at this venue. Etc. And then you go back to the forefronts, and you talked about how you how many uh, CDs or downloads or streams are happening. And you go back to the bloggers, and you say, "This is what the writers have said." Yeah. And I think you're getting the idea now that the the reason I call it the forefronts is they're interactive and they're interrelated. And so when you're talking to anybody about your music, you don't want to do you know, rambling talks about how good your music is. You want to target in the time you have these four key areas. Product development, especially. They don't need to know about the artist development stuff. That's your private world. But how are you going to, how is it going to be sold? How is it being played so people can hear it? What's the response from the press, the bloggers, etc.? And where can they see you live? And that's it. There's nothing else. Right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I can see how it applies to all the uh, new fields uh, uh, appearing with uh, this digital uh, age. Like every couple months, there are new, uh, new trending like social networks and tools and so on. But if you like, uh, it, it's it can be applied to pretty much uh, anything. The this this concept that you just described, and uh, with uh, digital stores, for example, uh, uh, digital stores accept. Uh, 
pretty much basically all music that is sent to them, but uh, the like Apple features only very selected, very few artists on their homepage on iTunes. It's kind of the same process. If you want the editorial department to pick you up and feature your album on the homepage of, one, of iTunes, you need to show them why exactly uh, they, they, they want to do this. And I really like how it also can be visualized. So uh, I would uh, do a, a mind map, be I uh, a, a band or some uh-huh. sort of uh, illustration and just... I mean, in a visual, to me, it, it would make a lot of sense to just draw it and uh, kind of connect uh, the dots and see maybe I need to improve some specific parts uh, just so we get more gigs and so on. I like the simplicity and at the same time the that it's, uh, uh, it's so complex it covers all the, the whole music industry, basically. Well, I think what you just said... Um the mind, the mind mapping idea is really great. And if listeners are not aware of what that is, you can just Google it, right? And you'll find out how to mind map. That's a brilliant idea. And Andrew, I'll probably borrow it from you. Oh, yeah, feel free to. <laughs> uh, it's a great idea because then you'll see how everything comes together and interacts, you know, from one area I've talked about to the other. Uh, you know, when you were talking about there's a lot of EDM artists that might be listening to your broadcast. Um, I gave a talk the other day at the Art Institute. Uh, even though I left there years ago, I go back to give uh, lectures occasionally. And I was talking about what we're talking about. And there's one guy after a half an hour raises his hand. He says, you know, I'm just a DJ at a club spinning records. You know, I don't know what this has got to do with my life. And I just... You know, I was dumbstruck for a moment. I was just thinking, have you been in the room for the last half hour? You know, this applies to everybody. You know, if you're not playing an instrument in a band, quote unquote band, and you're a DJ, that is a performance. You are an artist. And everything I've talked about applies to you just as it does for a rock band of any type, a jazz group, a blues group, you name it, folk, everything. Is a business at some point for all of you, and I hope I don't. I'm not haven't been scaring you off with all this stuff, but uh, you know, with with the time we've had to talk about this, it's just a brief introduction to the structure, how things work. If you just try it a little bit at a time, you'll see how one thing is connected to another, which is another thing is connected to this and to that, and. Uh, your mind mapping idea would prove that to be true. Yeah, I I, I really appreciate the uh, detailed explanation because especially when we hear it uh, from you from from the author of the idea, it, it's uh, uh, it's especially insightful and interesting. I don't think I have a lot of questions to you because I have like a million of questions to you, but we don't have. <laughs> Like enough uh, time, we we, we can uh, release a whole series of podcasts, just interviews with you, and and at the same time, like this would be an audio version of your book, probably. And yeah, so your book basically covers it all in many details, all uh, all fronts and uh, all the different uh, practical and the nitty gritty of of this whole. theme basically uh, and then the promotion and publicity and the product and artist development everything so I just highly recommend uh, 
uh, every musician just having this book as 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 uh, uh, just something to refer to uh, frequently because it's not something that you just read once and forget, but you can use it as as a guide of sorts. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm glad you kind of said that, and I really thank you for for mentioning the book. But you know, this this fourth edition that's out is uh, 320 pages. <laughs> that's a big book, right? So I want to remind people before we cut off here that um, when I was teaching at the Art Institute and the classes that go on there today and around the world, there's a lot of classes and workshops and seminars to go to. Um, for just one example, we would talk about um, radio airplay at the Art Institute, for example, uh, for 11 weeks, four hours, once a week on that topic for a total of 44 hours on that one topic of radio promotion or or you name it, distribution, etc. And we've had uh, roughly less than an hour to talk about the structure of the industry and to give an outline really uh, and a beginning to think about how things are connected. There's a lot to learn. There's an awful lot to learn and I don't want people leaving thinking that this is overwhelming. Uh, it's not. One thing is just like I described how my career unfolded. Uh, that's how your career will unfold in its own way. It'll be one thing. I'm going to steal to. Uh, I'm going to borrow rather, steal whatever. A comment from um, uh, a, a guy I used to know years ago, who kind of did what I did, and his idea was this. He said, "Work for little victories." And when he said that, I went, God, that is a wonderful phrase. You know, if you have, you know, one thing happen, like a blogger writes about you for 10 seconds, you know, <laughs> in a two sentences on his blog, that's a little victory. If you get an opening act, you know, at a small little venue where 30 people show up, but you got it, that's a little. And these little victories add up in each of the fronts that I've described. And instead of saying, oh, geez, that's not big enough, I want to be bigger, appreciate, be grateful for the things that you're doing. Acknowledge it. I, I got, I got this little gig. I got this such and such good review from a blogger. You know what I mean? It's like anything, yeah. anything that comes to you as feedback positively is a real victory, and you should be very proud of it. So hmm. I, I kind of would like to leave that as a parting thought. Yeah, the, the mindset. The mindset is so important. So and and so I, I just I think this is something that everyone who is listening to this should uh, really carefully think about. And something that I uh, have been mentioning uh, recently quite a lot is uh, uh, I think there is this problem that many artists have. They think uh, thousands instead of just dozens. And uh, what I mean is that uh, everyone kind of sees how the uh, big names in their genre are doing and they want the same amount of fans and so on but instead they should focus on uh, on getting one fan at a time and really engage with them and just moving uh, with these uh, measurable uh, well just uh, milestones and then there will be the thousands if you just as you said if you uh, consider every single um, achievement as a victory so it's uh, it's a great phrase indeed so 
Yeah, it's it's a little uh, kind of internal insight. So before we started, um, before we did this interview, I was we were communicating via email, and um, I suggested to have uh, this uh, made this interview just as a conversation, and uh, you agreed. And I actually prepared some questions just in case, but. To be honest, like it's been like I'm listening to you, uh, uh, and and uh, you you made the the whole like the whole job for me. I just didn't have uh, a lot to ask because it's just uh, such a clear and uh, insightful way to describe the music business. And uh, this is great that all the new things that appear uh, because of the era we live in they fit this structure pretty well you didn't uh, have uh, social networks per se at the uh, when you, when you wrote the book but uh, social media and uh, and and uh, streaming and downloads they fit this structure pretty well i would i, would, I would just want to say in in the book the way we treat social networking is it is emphasized in every single chapter in every different front that you can't avoid social networking. It's, it's like a, a cloud that has enveloped everything these days. You have to be involved with it. If you're not, you're really hurting yourself, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. Sa- I said I had a last thought, but I have a second last thought. <laughs> is You know, it has to do with um, having patience, the little victories, but having patience on things. And people don't have a lot of that these days. And here in Seattle, you know, um, we're pretty proud of an artist that you know called Macklemore. Mm-hmm. And uh, Macklemore, you know, what was described initially in the last year is that overnight success, nothing could be farther from the truth. He has been working for over a decade, over a decade of doing stuff around this area, inch by inch, little victory after little victory, getting bigger victories, etc. And to all of you listening, you know, have patience. You may not, you know, you, you see all this activity around you and you think, I want to do that now. No, everything takes time, you know. And it's, um, it's not the destination that you're really about in the music business. It's the trip. It's the everyday activity that you do, loving your music, and emphasizing all the things we've talked about today. Because, you know, it's like taking a trip. If you go to Hawaii for a vacation, well, that's great. When you're there, you're there. <laughs> what do you do? You got to do something next. So don't concentrate on the destination of being a star. You know, just do what you do consciously, lovingly, every day. And if your music is as good as we hinted at at the beginning, then maybe you'll have a shot at it. And if you don't, keep it a hobby. <laughs> Excellent. I, I like this uh, closing for just as the first one. It's, it's just great. So thank you. Uh, yeah, so we are wrapping it up. I'm linking yep. uh, to uh, to the book and to your resources uh, in the show notes so everyone can check out uh, yeah, the book in the first place because I highly recommend it. And thank you for Thanks. the insights. And it was wow. uh, a real pleasure to have you on this show. And uh, yeah, so if you have uh, another closing thought, just a very brief one or maybe like a couple sentences uh, to, to the artists listening to this, then feel free to share. And uh, No, I just have to thank you for the opportunity to talk to everyone that uh, listens to your broadcast. And uh, you can reach me by email too if you want. And 
you know, Andrew, you can post that up if you like anytime. It's chris at chriskanob.net. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I won't be uh, linking to it in the show notes because everyone who listens to the show till the end will know your email address and will... Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so let's, let's keep it more exclusive. You will know that the, the, the person will actually listen to this. So thank you once again. And uh, yeah, so it was a real pleasure. It was a pleasure talking with you. I loved it very much. Thank you again, Andrew. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin 12.com.